Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Well, guess where I want you to turn today? Proverbs 3, one more time. Actually, two more times. Um, uh, I do want to commend you for your perseverance and patience as we've been going through Proverbs 3 in great detail. And uh, we've got today... And then, Lord willing, a week from Wednesday night, we will wrap up the study on Proverbs 3. But we want to get back into it today. And I think you're going to find some interesting uh, points today. And I'm going to move this a little bit just because I'm standing on that metal trim there. That might be better. I won't trip that way. So um, Let's read Proverbs 3 again, 1 through 12. Uh, by the way, um, you should have it memorized by the time I leave, right? By the time I head back to Michigan. So Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his repute, reproof. Excuse me, uh, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Now I'm going to read one more verse, 13. How blessed or happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. That is so true. All right, let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your precious word. And Lord, it's been so good to go through this chapter as we have been for a number of weeks and a number of messages. So we just pray that as we do so today, you would open it up to us afresh by the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit we pray that we would see things that maybe we have not seen before, that we would apply truths that, that we need to apply, and that we would do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And for your glory, the glory of your Son, Lord, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, well, let me ask you a question. Um, how many here grew up uh, in a Christian home with Christian influence and Christian teaching? How many? Raise your hand. Quite a few. Okay. All right. How many did not? Is there anybody? You did not grow up in a Christian home necessarily. Okay. Neither did I. Um, I asked those questions to point out and remind us all of what a great blessing and advantage a Christian upbringing is. Amen? I mean, for you who had it uh, from time you're born maybe or time you're little or whatever, 
growing up, it's a great blessing, a great advantage. I mean, think about it. What a head start many of you had uh, in terms of uh, Bible knowledge and Bible teaching and an understanding of God and Christ and his word and exposure uh, to godly examples that you could imitate, right? All, all of those things you had. Um, and you probably even had a certain amount of shielding and protection from evil and from worldliness and, and sin, you know, that not, not all children have uh, that shielding or that protection. Um, and so you were in some ways like Solomon who had a godly father and mother to teach him the word of God and, and give him that that kind of a background. Now, what, again, what in heritage uh, people have, it's a great thing uh, when, you, when you have that. And I, I trust, and I know you are, that you're grateful for that, you know, um, be, because it is different growing up in an unsaved home. You, you kind of have to start all over again, start from scratch, especially. I mean, I didn't get saved till I was 17. So there was a lot of years there. It doesn't sound like a lot, but your formative years and, and, and your rebellious years and all the junk I got into, thankfully, the Lord saved me at least at 17, and, and I didn't have to go any longer in all of that. I think back to uh, high school friends and school friends, you know, and what they got into and how their lives have turned out, and I am, I am of all men most to be grateful, right? Um, so I praise the Lord for that. But with those thoughts in mind, we want to continue our ongoing study here in Proverbs 3. We're learning about the do's and don'ts and rewards, as you know, of God's wisdom, of wisdom's teaching. We've covered in detail verses 1 through 6, so I'm not going to review that uh, anymore. We've done that a number of times, and you can review that on your handout. But as we do come to verses 7 and 8 today, we want to look at yet another don't and a do, uh, commands which wisdom tells us will really benefit us greatly. I mean, these are wonderful commands, wonderful words of wisdom that benefit us, and we're going to see how today. But notice again, this would be point five on your outline if you're using that, the don't. The don't is do not see yourself as wise, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That would be the do. But the don't is do not see yourself as wise. Or do not be wise in your own eyes, I think is how my New American Standard translates it. Um, do not be wise in your own eyes. Basically, that means that you think your reasoning and understanding is best. The way you think is best. The way you understand things is best. Um, and uh, you, therefore, do not really seek, if you're a person like this, you don't seek the counsel of others or listen to advice. This is uh, the kind of person that does not consider wisdom, uh, the wisdom of God, of God's word, the wisdom of his teachings. It's not important to him or her. Um, and this kind of person tends to live by the saying, it's, it's my way or the highway, you know. Uh, and, and my thinking, again, is, is best. So we need, we need to be careful about that. Uh, I want to share an illustration of this given to me by our brother Dennis, and he's obviously not with us today. And uh, he gave me this little booklet. It's actually a Gospel of John, but printed on there is, uh, is yeah, I've got it up there, one million dollar bill, I guess, or whatever, if there is such a thing. A uh, million dollars. And uh, get your attention, I guess, 
and um, but it's basically the Gospel of John. And the little introduction, the illustration in this booklet um, has to do with a young man who, whose grandmother left him uh, in her will some money. First, she left him $20,000. Um, and then she also said in the will that she had left, left him uh, and this is a quote, as well as my Bible and all that it contains. So $20,000 as well as my Bible and all that it contains. And so she left him with a Bible. Well, he took the Bible and he just, you know, she died and he threw, up, threw it up on a shelf. Then he spent the next 50 years gambling uh, and, and just blew the money, the 20 grand, and uh, gambled the money away. Well, he probably, I think he actually did that in the very beginning. He gambled it away right away. But the next 50 years, he just scraped by. He didn't do well financially and, and for obvious reasons, probably. Um, and as we think about this, uh, he was, he was um, cleaning his house one day. And he found that Bible that he had thrown up on a shelf somewhere. And it fell. And as it fell open, that dusty old Bible, it landed fell open to reveal that there was money tucked between every page. Guess how much? One million dollars. One million dollars. It had to be big bills, I guess, or something, you know. But um, uh, ironically, he could have lived his life in luxury. But he thought he knew what was in the Bible, you know, like a lot of people today do. You know, they, they think they know what's there, and it's not that important to them. Um, and uh, he was wise in his own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes, the Bible says. Or do not be, another version would say, do not be wise in your own estimation. And the idea here is that, that in your estimation, your intellect, your reasoning, your opinion is all that's needed, right? And, uh, of course, the Bible says just the opposite of that. Uh, but those kind of people, they're self-reliant, they're self-sufficient, they refuse they refuse God's truth and counsel and even his own help. And it's really a sign of what? It's really a sign of pride, isn't it? Yeah, ultimately. It's a sign of pride. Uh, and it, Proverbs sixteen eighteen warns against that. Uh, it says that pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And we have to watch out for that. Uh, other Proverbs... 12.15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. As I look at our nation today, I sometimes wonder, um, you know, in terms of those people at the top that are supposedly in charge, uh, who's listening to whom, you know? What are the advisors telling our president and our governor, governors and, and different people in, in authority? Uh, just who is calling the shots and who's listening to whom? I, sometimes I wonder who it really is. Um, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, "There is no guidance if there is, excuse me, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory." Or another version says, "Safety." Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Without consultation. Plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in the abundance of counselors there is victory. 
how true that is. Now, I think of one gross, blatant, and extreme example of a person who is wise in his own eyes. Now, you could probably think of a lot of people when it comes to that. But one person I think of in Scripture is King Nebuchadnezzar. And I think of Daniel chapter 4, 29 to 33. And there we read, it says in part of that passage, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king reflected and said to himself, is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, that's a man that's wise in his own eyes, right? And didn't have a clue uh, as to the truth that we know from the New Testament that in God we live and move and have our being, right? And I don't think I have that verse up there, but you know that what I'm talking about. Um, here's here's uh, what the rest of that passage says. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar. To you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time, meaning seven years, will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And you know, that's exactly what happened in fulfillment of that prophecy He suffered from something called boanthropy and acted like an animal and even looked like one in in many ways, as it says here. Um, But such an account reminds us, does it not, that God gives greater grace. Therefore, the Bible says, therefore, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. He's opposed to the proud. It gives grace to the humble. And the positive part about being humble is that you uh, are wise enough not to be wise in your own eyes. You know, Uh, you're careful not to be wise in your own estimation. Uh, And instead of doing that, don't do not be wise in your own eyes. We need to do and obey the do. And that is fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Uh, rather than being wise in our own eyes, we're to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's the do. As we know, most people who do not fear the Lord do what? They head straight toward evil, right? I mean, they end up heading toward evil of some sort. Um, and in our, we've, we kind of defined the fear of the Lord in one of our earlier studies, if you can remember that far back in January. Uh, let me just give you a very brief definition kind of summarizing what I had said then. Uh, To fear the Lord basically means to reverence and respect God's person and power in such a way that it is evidenced by a relationship with him of obedience to him. I want to read it one more time. It is to reverence and respect God's person and power in such a way that it is evidenced by a relationship with him of obedience to him. 
to him. People who fear the Lord have that kind of relationship with him. It doesn't mean we obey him perfectly. We know that and understand that. But that is the desire of our heart. If it's not the perfection of our life, which it isn't, it's the direction of, a, of the life of a person who fears the Lord. If one does not fear the Lord, then engaging in really sinful, uh, a sinful or fleshly lifestyle, that's the natural thing to do. That's the easy thing to do. When you don't fear the Lord, that's the inevitable thing that will be done by someone who does not fear the Lord. Yet here in Proverbs 3, 7, fearing the Lord and turning away from evil, they're really seen as equals. They're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Um, and this is the do, turn away from evil. True wisdom teaches us to turn away from evil. Amen? It really does. Um, it's kind of like uh, Titus, uh, I didn't have this in my message, it's coming to mind. Titus 2, 11 to 13, somewhere in there, uh, talks about the grace of God has appeared, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The grace of God, the fear of the Lord, they both teach us to turn away from evil. And that do, of course, is seen all throughout the Bible. The Hebrew word, interesting, uh, is sure or sur, S-U-R. And it means turn away from or to depart from or to shun evil. Uh, the old King James word is eschew, 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 excuse me, eschew. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, Maybe that's why shun is a lot easier to say, right? <laughs> I think so. Uh, Job 1.1, 1, 1, I think of Job. He's, he's known as a man who feared the Lord and he shunned evil. Job 1.1, 1, 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil or eschewing evil or shunning evil. But he was upright. And he feared, he feared the Lord. Um, now as we, oh, you can read about that also in Job 1.8 and Job 2.3 as far as some other references. Same thing is said. Uh, but as we consider the context of the passage here, as far as Proverbs 3 is concerned, a person who is wise in their own eyes is not one who, who fears the Lord. They are not one who truly fears the Lord. Why? Because that kind of person, as I said earlier, they are proud. They're focused on his or her own wisdom and smarts. They're highly impressed with themselves uh, and, and their, own, you know, their own abilities. And obviously uh, that exists in the human race and we see that all the time. Uh, this, these kind of people, they usually have a spirit or an attitude of self-sufficiency. Self of pride, of conceit, arrogance, self-righteousness. You say, who does this sound like? You say, well, like lots of people I know, right? <laughs> okay, well, um, I'm thinking of somebody else uh, in Scripture. I mentioned Nebuchadnezzar earlier, but I was thinking of Lucifer in terms of this sort of character. Uh, Isaiah 14, you know the passage well, I'm sure. 12 to 15, there God's word says, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, literally, O star of the morning. 
uh, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Uh, Lucifer was caught up in his own beauty and wisdom and all of that. They probably had, maybe he had a mirror he was looking at, I don't know. Uh, And he was wise in his own eyes and thought that he could take the position of the almighty God of the universe. In Ezekiel 28, we read of him, of the king of Tyre in that instance, a human representative, a human illustration and representative of Satan of Satan. And there we're told that his pride and supposed wisdom, that got him into trouble even being cast out of heaven, as you know. And essentially because he was wise in his own eyes, thinking himself, especially even this human king, the king of Tyre, thinking himself that he was a god or he wanted to be like God. And he certainly did not fear the Lord, nor did he submit to him. And this kind of person, again, they lean on their own power, their own understanding, the direct opposite of trusting in the Lord with all your heart, right? And it reminds us that true wisdom has to do with humbling ourselves and realizing that we need a power much higher than ours, that there is someone that is much powerful much more powerful than we are, much smarter, much wiser than we are. Um, And we need him. We realize that we must, as Proverbs 2 verse 3 says, cry out to God for his help and his wisdom. And I'm kind of paraphrasing that. Proverbs 2 3 actually says we must cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding. That sounds like what? That sounds like prayer to me. It sounds like a prayer of dependence to me, right? For only he can give us that help and discernment and understanding. Um, But like the other do's that we've been studying all along, there is in verse 8 the reward. The reward. And according to verse 8, the reward is divine healing. Or we can just say healing. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. And as I've said before, God's wisdom and commands are meant for our own good. They are for our own good in every area of life, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Now, we don't, in our brethren circles, talk about this much. We don't talk about healing much uh, because we're afraid of the charismatics and all that, and we react against that, and, and I understand that. And I understand you know, the, the um, issues having to do with the gifts and all of that. But this, this is the word of God. And I, I want you to see that how this works here. Um, there are physical, and, physical benefits, spiritual benefits, and blessings, all of those, for our health when we fear the Lord and shun evil. It's just true. It's very practical, and, and it works. And that's because a sinful lifestyle, when you throw away God's wisdom 
and you don't follow His Word, and you follow your own thinking, a sinful lifestyle often leads to what? To adverse and physical consequences. Now, I know the spiritual ones are there too, adverse spiritual consequences, etc. But just to dwell on this for a moment, adverse physical consequences, whether it be the abuse of food or alcohol or drugs or tobacco, there can be serious consequences. And I grew up with all that stuff and saw my family members destroy their bodies by living that kind of a lifestyle um, and imbibing in in many of those things. Uh, The same would be true of sexual immorality or working ourselves almost to death uh, to gain more and more stuff, you know, Um, or partying till all hours and running your body into the ground. Uh, When you you ignore God's principles, his truths, and his wisdom, and you live a sinful lifestyle, there will be the natural, physical, and spiritual consequences to that that occur. Uh, And all of these things can sap our strength and lead to various illnesses. Uh, The Bible confirms this, and I want you to see that just in a couple of cases. In 1 Corinthians 11, we read of the Corinthians, and you know their story. They really love to eat. They love to eat and they love to drink. In fact, they would eat so much they, they would hog it from themselves and, and uh, on the Lord's Day even and not, you know, if they had a potluck, not share it with other people. Or they love to drink to the point of getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And you know that from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine to 33. Uh, notice, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Well, those are physical consequences, folks, right? But if we judged ourselves rightly, we, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And that's why that passage is so shocking. These were Christians doing this stuff, right? Eating more than they needed and not sharing it with others and drinking to the point of getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. I, I can't, you know, we can't picture that, can we? You can't picture showing up here on a Sunday and, and having half the congregation drunk. Uh, that, that, I know that's never going to happen. Thank, thank you. But it did. It did with the Corinthians. It's amazing. I think of Psalm 32, 3 and 4. King David, he had indulged his fleshly desires with Bathsheba and plotted to have her husband Uriah the Hittite killed. And he said this, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. That is, David was so sick, he, he felt like he had heat stroke, you know? Why? Because he hadn't confessed his sin. Sin will sap your strength and vitality and maybe even kill you. It did some of the Corinthians. Actually died because of it. And you remember Ananias and Sapphira. Um, I'm also reminded of another passage, James 5 where it says, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick, physically sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Uh, I think it's very clear in this passage here in James, just as it was in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, that, that sickness was connected directly to sin. Uh, just like the Corinthians, in some way, this sickness here in James is directly connected with sin. And what is needed for the healing and restoration to occur is confession of that sin and the prayer of faith. And James says that that person will be healed. Uh, notice now, back to Proverbs 3, and this is where we've We've launched on this thought, Proverbs 3, 8, verse 8, it says, It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. This is so interesting. King James translates it this way, and I think it's really interesting. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Everybody wants a healthy navel, I guess, right? Is that what that means? Okay, I don't think so. Uh, but that's what it says. Uh, actually, this is another uh, picture. Uh, this, this, you know, the Hebrew. The Hebrew is very picturesque here. The word "shore" is translated "navel." It actually means umbilical cord. Literally means the umbilical cord. It only occurs. The word only occurs twice in the Old Testament. Here in Proverbs three eight and Ezekiel sixteen four, and this is talking about the nourishment and the strength that flows from a mother, a mother's body through the umbilical cord to the baby. And we all understand that. And we all were in that situation at one time, right? We understand that. In other words, the fear of the Lord, and this is the point, the fear of the Lord and shunning evil results in a flow of nourishment and strength which provides health and healing for our sin-sick souls. I think that's what the passage is saying. In other words, our relationship with God, which is born out of a healthy fear of him, it can lead to spiritual, emotional, and physical health or healing, if you will. Now, you say, well, how, it says that. It does say that. How about an illustration of that? Well, I think this is evident in those dramatic salvation testimonies where a person is miraculously delivered from heroin, right, or alcohol, or drugs, or whatever, some kind of moral perversion or sexual addiction. Uh, and you'll hear a testimony where they, a person turns to the Lord and they're born again and uh, virtually, actually, miraculously, God heals those people. He heals them in their spirit. He heals their, their body, their soul, their spirit. Now, I'm not saying it happens every time or that that uh, it always works that way because sometimes there are residual effects of sin, right, um, that, that are long-lasting. 
But there are also many cases where a person gives a testimony and says, I don't know how it happened, but I was delivered from heroin, cold turkey, and never had a problem after that, you know. Well, only, only God can do that in a person's life, and it does sometimes happen. If you're familiar with, and some of you older, of you older folks, which is most of us in here, uh, uh, we'll remember the story of David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz and the cross and the switchblade. How many have saw that movie many years ago? All right, or read the book, yeah. I took, uh, when I first got saved, I got saved in 70, and so I probably did this, boy, in the first year. I took two of my unsaved friends to, because I, I was so excited about my salvation i took him to see that movie you know because the gospel was presented in that movie and i was excited about it um but that's the idea it's a story of nicky cruz uh he was a gang member he was into drugs immorality all kinds of terrible sin uh all kinds of things and he was saved there in new york city under the ministry uh, the evangelist david wilkerson um but the point is the fear of the Lord is the life-giving marrow and nourishment. Notice the text there. It says, like a drink of refreshment. That's kind of the literal idea. Like a drink of refreshment um, for our bones, for our body. It's, it's, there's a healing nature to the gospel and to salvation and to the wisdom of God. Um, and I'm not talking about faith healers and all that kind of stuff, you know, right now. I'm talking about just what the text here in Proverbs says. And I think it's very clear. In such cases, people are healed in both body and soul. And remember King David's words, before he confessed his sin, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Um, but he felt much better once he confessed his sin, didn't he? He certainly did. Obviously, sin takes a toll on people physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It really does. Uh, but what an amazing truth. When you, when, you re, when you refrain from being wise in your own eyes and you truly fear the Lord, you turn away from evil, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. It's a wonderful truth the transforming power of the Lord and of the gospel. Um, I can't begin to tell you, just as I think back uh, over the years, not that I'm ancient, but I'm, I'm approaching being ancient, maybe. Uh, I can't begin to tell you the people that I've known where their physical and emotional suffering are obviously directly connected to their, to their sin, to their... Uh, to the fact that they do not fear the Lord um, because they're wise in their own eyes. All of those things have problems. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've all heard it said, and I certainly have talked to people too, that have said our mental hospitals uh, would be emptied, or at least mostly, uh, of many of their patients if people could just get over their guilt, right? Uh, I'll tell you what. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again and you'll get over your guilt because all your sins are forgiven. And it's amazing how their health improves when they do that. It really is. Um, we're going to stop at that point, I think, 
just because I want to uh, finish the last section on that Wednesday. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll stop then. A week from Wednesday, we'll continue and go to the, the, the last Roman numeral six, all right? Uh, I just want to ask, and we'll just take two minutes to do this. Any of the brethren, do you have any comments or thoughts on what we've said? Brother Don. to go to the king who asked advice from the old men and the young men. You remember that one? Yes, yes. And I thought that was a really nice tie-in to what you were talking about. Oh, amen. Good point. What Good. the young men said and the old men said. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and you know, you say to yourself, well, if I hadn't read this, who would I listen to? Aha, uh-huh. right, right. The old man, young man. Yeah, that's right. Pretty Amen. Good. Thank you. Good point. Anybody else comment before we go? Solomon's uh, wisdom because he asked for it. As a young man, that's right. He asked for that's right. And that's what we're studying. That's right. And uh, not not well. I'm just baffled. Sadly, why did he end his life not quite as well as he you know. Uh, yeah, at the end of his life, didn't do so well on that. Yeah. But uh, but that's the honesty of the scripture, isn't it? Yeah. The Bible's honest about about that. Yeah. Okay. Was there another hand up? No. Yes. All right. Let's close in prayer, folks. Thank you, Father, for teaching us today, and we thank you for these principles, and we thank you, Lord, that that the gospel and salvation. And being born again, it it just is a miracle uh, and contains miracles in a sense. Uh, Just so many wonderful things happen when someone um, humbles themselves before God and determines not to be wise in their own eyes, but follows after your wisdom and your commands and your word, uh, Lord, Uh, What a blessing it is to know you, just as as we read earlier. Uh, We would pray for those friends and relatives and acquaintances that are unsaved, that struggle through life and suffer in many cases through life because they are unwilling to yield to you and, and to your word, to the gospel, with that obedience of faith that the Bible talks about. Oh, Lord, we pray for their salvation. And I know people here, I'm sure, have different individuals on their minds and hearts that they pray for. May, may you work through us to win them, uh, Lord. And uh, I thank you for saving my own mother, um, an alcoholic who struggled through life with so many things. But you saved her and transformed her life. And I praise you for that. Just uh, keep using all of us, Father, to reach those who so desperately need you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.